And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello and welcome to the Great Movies Podcast, a retrospective film review show where we watch and discuss the movies covered in Roger Ebert's seminal filminal essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Dylan Cuellar, and today we're talking about a great movie, but one not from the Ebert collection. We are doing an fill-in episode because Jana and Nick cannot be here this week. However, we do have an excellent guest on today. We have, it's Carlos Valladares, I'm assuming? Valladares. Valladares. Ah. Oh. Close. Yes. We could, you, you could do it again if you want to. I, I mess up every person's name and they come on the, the oh, okay. podcast. Um, <laughs> it's I, a rite I, of passage. <laughs> I do know the, the double L's are the yeah, because everyone there we calls go. me Yes, Q-ler. and a lot of people don't get that. A lot of people just say validators or whatever the fuck. But um, no, you got you, you got you were, you were you got it there. Yeah, cool. Um, <clears throat> so today we're talking about William Wyler's The Heiress. Um, this is a movie that came out at just at the end of the 40s. And I think this movie might well represent sort of cinema turning from 40s into 50s as we get closer and closer towards, um, I don't know, new Hollywood. Mm. Not necessarily specifically new Hollywood, but this feels like a movie that is a little bit darker than a lot of the old Hollywood movies you would expect. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... This movie stars um, Olivia de Havilland and um, Montgomery Clift, which you you saw this movie at a retrospective for Montgomery Clift, correct? Yes, I rewatched it for a retrospective that Film Forum in New York was doing for Montgomery Clift, but I had already seen it before. I think around like 2017, mm-hmm. um, where I went to school at Stanford, and like by off the campus, there was this wonderful theater called the Stanford Theater, which many people from the Bay Area and Palo Alto will know well. And it was like showing, I think as part of an Olivia de Havilland 100th birthday celebration, you know, when she was with us still. Um, And they showed like all of her greats. And this was like one film that like I'd heard of vaguely and like knew that like she won the Oscar for Best Actress Mm -hmm. for it and all this thing. But like other than that, I didn't know. And it was directed by William Wyler, who did one of my favorite films of all time, The Best Years of Our Lives. Oh, it's a great movie. But I didn't... Yeah, no, I adore that movie. Um, but I didn't know anything about it beyond that. And so I just kind of went in blind with two other friends. Um, shout out to Olivia Hummer and Michael Joya, if you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> it, was a, it was a fun night, uh, to say the least. Um, sure. I was like screaming by the end i was like what is what is happening what is what is going what is she going to do she can't just like take him back in the fuck um yeah the, no, the, the it, final scene is one of the most like intense climactic showdowns without no, it's tense. a weapon it's so tense. or anything it's, you it's don't just... know what's you don't know what's gonna happen you don't know but we'll get there yeah um yeah no so i loved it then and i've like tried to show it to as many people since then um and I, <clears throat> I wasn't super into Henry James, I think during this time because mm-hmm. it's also based on the Henry James novella Washington Square, yeah, which is like an interesting case of like a a now beloved like considered canonical Henry James like story that he thought was like one of his worst 
I always find it so funny how people rate their own work. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. He thought, I think my understanding is that it was like a pop, it's just a pop boiler for him and there wasn't, you know, enough depth that of like the kind that he usually reeks in his hmm. uh, works. But, um, but that got me, I think, started on like a slow but gradual Henry James kick that has just now flourished into a, one might say, an obsession. Wow, really? Um, yeah, no, I love Henry James. Do um, you do you like Washington Square um, compared to most of his work? Um, I. What do you mean, like the the films, the other films of Washington? No, Square? No, like um, like specifically Washington Square compared to the rest of Henry James' works. Do you think it's up there? Do you think it's a better one? Like he's underrating his own. Oh, I, I'm, I. So I don't agree with him in the sense of like it's it's a it's a great work. I actually personally prefer and like. I'm, I, I do this often where I'm like, nah, the book is, the film is actually like quite much more powerful than the movie or than the book. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like in this case, like the eras for me is just like has, it, it changes a lot of things Interesting from the book. Like the ending, for instance, is not like it's a, it's a powerhouse, like revenge type ending, which has this cruel uh, misanthropic uh element to it that i don't think is present in henry james i don't think he's gotcha. capable of cruelty in his books but um but no i i'd, I'd rank it pr- uh, like pretty high but it's not okay. like the the james that i like swear by which are like the ghost stories golden bowl uh portrait of a lady um you know no, another one jungle. with the movie adaptation yeah, yeah yeah although uh i haven't seen it in ages and like that's like Actually, I haven't seen that many Jane Campion movies. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, an embarrassment. I haven't. I still haven't even seen Power of the Dog. I'm just like, I don't know. There's something. Are you not, Are you not much of a Campion fan? I mean, I can't claim that I am. Sure. A fan or not? Because I just haven't seen enough of her work. I've only seen Portrait of a Lady, and like, I liked it, but like, it wasn't like a. It was. It, it wasn't by far the most memorable James adaptation. I will say, like, that would be like the heiress. Jack Clayton's The Innocence, Selena. Oh, Julie The Innocence is the best movie ever. Yeah. Oh my god, that, that that film is just so fucking terrifying. I showed it to a couple of students of mine for as like an extra screening for the classical Hollywood class that I was TAing last semester, and they were just like properly frightened. And I was just like, yeah, it's it's like it's very twisted. It's a very twisted movie. That's um, another one. I don't think where you the whole time you don't realize how dark and twisted this movie is until about like the final scene. Yeah. Well, it took me again. I watched that. I watched the innocence at the Stanford theater and it took me about like four viewings for like the deep, like terror and like, like disturbingness of it to really fully hit me. I remember the first time watching it and thinking like, okay, like that was a very well-made movie, but like I did and still have a kind of aversion to what I falsely projected onto the innocence as like this kind of British new wavy type, like, you know, jittery manic, like, you know, I'm important style, um, sure. which I'm, ver- I'm very allergic to. Like I dislike Tony Richardson's movies intensely. Like, like all those, like the Carl Rye, the early Carl Rye's and all this thing. Mm-hmm. Just, that, that, that has never spoken to me. Fair. Um, so like I kind of un- I very unfairly lumped it into like that category, but then like as I rewatched it, it just it just kept uh, you know sitting within me and dwelling within me. So I just kept watching it and rewatching. It. I was like, oh my god, no! And now it's like one of my favorite films of all time. I call it my favorite horror film. Yeah, 
it'd be up there for me as well. I think it'd be my top two or three. Yeah, yeah. And I also, this is a side note before we go back to the heiress, but this is, I always like to say Celine and Julie go boating is also one of my favorite Henry James adaptations. What which, would that uh, be an adaptation of? The Romance of Certain Old Clothes, which is like a very frivolous um, huh. Henry James early short story. Like that's kind of like it's. I think it's his first attempt to do a ghost story, actually, in like eighteen seventy four or something like that. Well, Sid and Julie Gobodin is the best. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like the the interior story within the larger story is the like the melodrama that there's the Victorian melodrama that um, Celine and Julie are seeing inside the house is the Henry James short story, pretty much like you know as like plot beats and everything and like. It's just, it's very interesting because like Rivette loves James, and I just can't think it's an accidental thing that he chooses one of James's earliest, but also like one of his like for sure the weakest of his like ghost stories, <laughs> of which he excelled tremendously. Which of like which the 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 proof of that is Turn of the Screw. Um, but it's it's there's some kind of you know artistic meta thing going on there for sure. Sure, um, sure. But uh, yeah. Um, back to the heiress. Um, yes. I want to bring up a couple of, uh, uh, let's see, sorry. Um, I'd like to bring up a couple of like the big crew members that worked on this movie and I think mm. make it as great as it is. Um, there's uh, to start off, William Hornbeck is the editor of the film who mm. has done uh, many, many classics, including another Montgomery Cliff movie we talked about doing, which was A Place in the Sun. Mm, yeah, I just saw that actually. Um, also, as part of this mm-hmm. great film forum retrospective they got going on on Monte. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't. I didn't. I wasn't that into it. Like, oh I really? Say, like, nah. I don't. I know it's heresy, but like, I, I, I appreciated it. I really did appreciate it. But like, for me, I think always the problem will be George Stevens's like post-war career, where like I feel like you know after the after he's witnessing the horrors of like the liberation of um the concentration camps and like he shoots that remarkable like unforgettable uh footage um he just he has like a a reboot in his career and he's like i must address like the weighty human experience (laughs) but like as a result but like you know it's as a result like there's something i feel like that gets it's it's there's like some kind of leaden quality to it and like every single shot kind of just declaims its importance I, again this is i'm something i'm i'm very allergic to that kind of shit like i'm sure, sure. i'm i'm very like i think i'm like a very attracted to like levity attracted to like the the mix of levity and gravity and i think it's just like a slightly too much weighty importance happening in like place in the sun um and like irrespective of just like how beautiful monty is and how gorgeous elizabeth taylor is and like they're i mean you put those undeniable two chemistry huh you put those two together it's it's a good looking movie well yeah no i mean i mean except when you know um they're put in like you know civil war regalia like they were in rain tree country which i <laughs> like started watching I just couldn't finish it which is like no <laughs> like it's how, how, how do you feel about giant then <clears throat> actually i haven't seen giant that's okay. the one that's the one that's the one post war Stevens, the one of the, of the major ones that I haven't seen, but I've seen like, you know, Diary of Anne Frank, which is like, uh, yeah. you know, it's 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 just like 
it's just a slog. It's just a slog. <laughs> and Shane, I can't stand. It's just like you and you uh, my my usual co-host Nick. Nick Nick hates Shane. Oh yeah! Oh my god! Well, I mean, it's a very hateable movie. I don't know. It's just, it's just so, it's so, it's, it really does think it's gonna be like you know the western to end all westerns kind of thing, and like it's trying to, it's doing all these subversive things. And I'm looking at the letterbox page for Shane, and the the tagline on it says, "The greatest story the West ever filmed." Yeah, no, it's, it's fuck off. Like, <laughs> no, that's that that was like Bud Bedecker on like an like when he wasn't even conscious about it or whatever. Um, I have but, never seen a Bud Bodeker. I need. I really. I, oh, watch the Tall T. The Tall T. That's tea the one I like, want to see most. It sounds. Nah, like that's it. the that's the, that's the craziest one. That like that film is just like like it switches at the dime of a hat. Like literally halfway, like exactly halfway through the film, and you don't even notice it. But like it's kind of like the yeah. world. No, yeah, the world suddenly goes from like there is good and there is evil to like there's one small, tiny, barely percepted incident, which I won't spoil. Um, and then afterwards, the entire world is just kind of gray tones. Yes, I love movies like that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I I, I don't know. Like, I I do I do love George Stevens. I have to say, I like Woman of the Year, Talk of the Town, The More the Merrier. Those those films are just like gorgeous. Alice Adams. Um, yeah. Well, I'm gonna shout out. I'm I I really like A Place in the Sun. I don't love it. I love Giant. Try Giant. I will no. I will watch Giant. I feel like I'm gonna love Giant. It seems like a crazy film. Like it it's, seems like it's a, it seems like a, a, I love it I know, so much. It seems like that the kind of like you know sweaty um, psychosexual shit that I really love of yes. like the fifties. That you know like um, Ilya Kazan does that so well. I saw a hundred. It's a, it, it feels like an Ilya Kazan. <laughs> Yeah, no, I saw um, Wild River is also part of this Clifter perspective, and it was just like, oh, oh sure, I've never God, seen God, like, nah, it's so beautiful. It has the most, it must be, it must have the most beautiful cinematography ever, like, put together. Uh, who did the cinematography for that? I was like, I was blown away by some of the, the fog and the that he gets like in the scenes where Clift is like crossing to the island where he's trying to convince the 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 landowners like to get off for the tennessee valley authority and it's just so it's so dreamy like everything is very low-key even for like a a kazan film about like baby doll um, sure you know uh, face in the crowd i want to i haven't seen enough kazan i really want to see baby doll that's one of my girlfriend's favorites and oh geez oh my god that film is wild (laughs) i need to see more wallach too that guy Okay, oh yeah, works. yeah, yeah. He's very, um, he's very muscular and um, swarthy in this. And it's, I feel like Baby Doll was like the 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 role he was born to play in like a weird way. Damn. Um, yeah, yeah. But you'll see. You'll yeah. see. It's 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 very. It's like you know, proto Lolita mixed with like this like Tennessee Williams like hotbed type of like steaminess, which I'm I'm here for it. Yes, that does sound really good. Yeah, the yeah. other two really big um, crew members I want to shout out is the score is by Aaron Copeland, who is mm, yeah probably God. the most accomplished composer of the like the twentieth century, at least the first yeah. half of the twentieth century. Yeah. No, he's up there, yeah, for sure. Um, and boy, does the score sound good. Yeah, I no, it's I I was listening to the scores on YouTube and I was just listening to it after I had seen it this past um rewatch and it's it he he just gets so many great m- melodies and like 
contradiction to one another like monty's theme versus like olivia's theme it's great it's great also the use of the um we'll talk a little bit more about this but the placier du l'amour i'm mm. not good at french oh yes yeah yeah, yeah. placier de l'amour yeah that the that song is but the, the motif and like the, the different ways he'll play it with the full orchestra versus a mm. piano in different scenes to kind of twist <coughs> into the emotions of the characters is, is fantastic Yes, uh, pleasures. Of, yeah, the pleasure of love. Plaisir d'amour ne dure qu'un moment. Chagrin d'amour dure toute la vie. Pleasure of love lasts only a moment. The grief of love lasts a lifetime. Which is just, you know, I I I eat that, you know, morbid romantic shit up. It's really good. <laughs> also, when you've seen the movie and you're rewatching it and you're seeing Morris, who at in that point in the movie you're, you're not hating. No, 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 no. Um. Although I have an interesting point about this, which is, so <clears throat> my background uh-huh. on this movie is I've, I've heard about it. Actually, your review is one of like my favorite ones. That I was like, oh, I got to watch this. Soon. Oh. oh, my God. Yeah, I was reading it after like before. And it was so funny because like uh, when I was when I was younger, um, I was I must have interpreted him as much more ambiguous than I think he is established from like the beginning. And like, I don't know, I was rewatching it this time. And I don't think it was just like knowing the plot that made me think this. I was just like watching Monty Cliff's performance and I was just like, no, this guy's bad news from the very oh, beginning. Oh, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. I, like, I, I don't know how I could have possibly, you know, I, 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 I very much um, relate emotionally to a lot of James characters, like mm-hmm. his heroines and especially with Catherine Sloper, especially with um, that, with Olivia de Havilland's portrayal of her kind of doe-eyed, um, one might say dunderheaded or you know naive optimism and <laughs> sure sure and and thinking of the in this thing called romance which you know will 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 guide the two together these two together I very much um you know f- f- felt that the first time I was watching it I was like yeah it can't, I, I poss- it can't possibly be a gold digger come on he's <laughs> Montgomery look at him like he's so sweet and all this thing. The interesting um, thing is, though, that both my girlfriend and my... I watched this one, this time with my mom. The uh-huh. second he's on screen, they were both like, oh, that guy's fuck, that, guy, that guy's bad news. Well, no, of course, yes, no. When you, It's one of the great character entrances in all of classical Hollywood. It's so um, unconventional because you have Monty Clift, like, walking past the camera, and the camera kind of goes black for about a second or two. Um... And then he just like is awkwardly like Miriam Hopkins, who plays Catherine, um, which she plays Olivia de Havilland. She's great in this film. Yeah. Um, She plays Olivia de Havilland's aunt, who Mm. is trying to kind of, you know, she's I love her so much. She's trying. She means so well and she wants love for Olivia. And she's trying to orchestrate like this pairing to happen. And she's like the mediator between the father uh cruelly cruel father played by ralph richardson um which who we can talk about and olivia de havilland and she's just sitting next to olivia and then monty is just kind of jutting on screen left very awkwardly in the frame and it's like you don't see his face you only see his voice and there's something about his his um profile and the way wilder frames it that is very sinister like it's just like Mm -hmm. a sinister coat arm like just like slashing down the screen and it's like you know I, I, even when i first saw it 
like I was I was like, oh wow, wait, this guy this guy is not this guy is not who he seems. This is this is what mm-hmm. this is the beauty of film language, you know? It's like you can use it and you can block people creatively, which a lot of people just don't do anymore. Because <laughs> they don't watch films with the fucking errors. Um, you know, to, to, to show subtly like what where we are um, but like subtly but immediately you get this this meaning conveyed to you he's he he is not what he seems we are not seeing him frontally we are not seeing him like all at once which now that i'm thinking about it is actually the same way elizabeth taylor in a in a different way but elizabeth taylor is introduced also in this way in a place in the sun where George Stevens has a very, very deep focus shot and like Monty Clift is in the foreground. And then we see her like walking, opening the door of her father's like mansion and then walking towards us. But she's so far away and like so far away and so far away. And like we don't get a clear look at her. And then finally he turns around and then we get like a medium shot, but not the close up. We hit, like, I don't think the close up happens until like the pool room scene or something like that but like she's, she's always at a distance from us and monty clift in this film is always at a distance from us yeah um <clears throat> yeah yes um, um well yeah cinema uh the I, who is the cinematographer for this film? leo was... torver who okay has done some interesting movies he it's he, a lot of his are like b movies he did journey to, journey to the center of the earth snake pit uh. the day the earth stood still Ah, interesting. Some fun movies. Yeah, those those are like fun movies. Oh, he did Love Me, Love Me Tender, uh, the first Elvis movie. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, there it is. And he shot Woman on the Beach for Renoir, which is just um, a beautiful oh, yeah, film is... from his. Um, from I haven't his seen that one. American period. No, it's it's great. It's great. Um, but anyway, sorry, I I. It took us on a tangent. <laughs> That's okay. This podcast is filled with tangents. This is just what wonderful. I, I I figured, yeah. <laughs> but um, the last uh, crew member, and I think this has to be brought up anytime she decides to design clothes for a movie. But oh yeah, yeah, of course the great Edith Head. Edith Head, yes. I, um, it's amazing what she can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it feels like one of her personal films in like a way like she you can tell she just had fun figuring out like all of olivia's costumes and like mm-hmm. going from the 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 lighter earlier parts of the film um to like the heavy black the the darker tones and like you know th- there's the confrontation with ralph richardson she has on this remarkable collar which is just it and her hair is tied up in this way that makes her suggest that she's kind of like school marmish which is it's so funny because in the first half of the film richardson the father her father uh austin sloper is projecting a lot of dowdiness onto her when we're just looking at her and we're just like it's a, that, that she's not she's like beautiful she's like beautiful light airy like you know shimmering and like a subtle kind of you know, not obvious way, a very gentle way. And it's like, how could you possibly predict dowdiness onto that? And then the second half, when she is looking dowdy, she's actually, quote-unquote, conventionally dowdy. She has this air of gravitas and presence to her that overwhelms, Mm -hmm. like, anyone in the room. And it's like, even, it goes beyond, like, it's kind of like this, this joke, almost, that, like, I feel like Edith Head is, like, somehow 
playing with this intentionally is that like um, Austin Sloper, like his the vision of who his daughter is has come to life in one conventional yeah. way, but psychologically she has she has gained the upper ground over the father and is like you know metaphorically killing the father slowly but surely through his through her um through her learning from masters which is one of the great lines oh it's the best i have i have learned from masters with like an ellipses between the learned and the front it's great it's great yeah um one of one of her best tricks in this movie is in the final confrontation where she's sort of taking on monty cliff and she kind of gets her revenge she's in this like gaudy sweet white dress uh-huh it's like sort of like this be- simple beauty and innocence yes yes and uh it's kind of like out of a fairy tale almost. yes yeah. it's so good mm-hmm. yeah and she has like a row of um her hair is like um tied up like to almost look like she's like wearing a crown or something yep. like she's embroidering and everything um but yeah no it's 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 the great costumes i love them it's so good mm-hmm. um so to start off i want to talk a little bit about the oscars this year this was the 22nd academy awards in 1950 oh, yeah. um okay. yeah, yeah, yeah this movie had the most nominations of any movie that year and won <laughs> the most awards of any movie that year mm. um however it failed to win best picture that went to um the Robert Russell movie, All the King's Men. Oh, yeah, which I haven't seen. Okay, um, I was curious if so, you had. No, I haven't seen that one. I can't judge that, but I I do like Robert Rossin. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love Lilith. Lilith is... Uh, I haven't seen Lilith. Oh, my God. Another one of these wonderful, weird transition between classic Hollywood and new Hollywood movies, which has, like, elements of both and, like, you know, it's Ross and trying to keep up with the times and mm-hmm. um, Warren Beatty in this very, uh, one of these kind of like existential performances that he was like giving in like the 60s, you know, in like um, um, the Arthur Penn movie where he's like, an, uh, Mickey One. Um, it's, I feel like I put Lilith and Mickey One in both like the same kind of category of sure. like psychological falling apart, like, you know, existentialism is seeping firmly into the the air of hollywood and it's it's um but yeah no i haven't seen mm-hmm. all the king's men yeah all the king's men has never been one of my favorite movies um mm-hmm. I, I think it's fine i don't i just i don't think it, the um thematic narrative necessarily um lives up to like the premise that it's uh putting out it's, okay. it's a fine movie but you know i would definitely have had the heiress in my vote over it Oh uh, yeah. Well, I'm seeing right now they had they had uh, well, there wasn't that much competition. I must say. <laughs> I mean, no. Twelve O'Clock High and Battleground, which are just forgettable. Um, and have you and seen then, Letter to Three Wives? That's a movie I, I have. See. I have. I really like that film. No, that's a that's a that's. I'm not a big Mankiewicz sure. fan. I think he can be a little too in love with his own talk. But I feel like the early and um, what's it called? Um, All About Eve is kind of like the apotheosis of like. It's the perfect meeting of the love of his own talk and the talk. And then afterwards, it just sure. kind of, like Stevens in the 50s, gets very leaden and draggy and all this mm-hmm. thing. But, um, yeah, no, Letter to Three Wives is a great, like, you know, great picture with Mankiewicz at his, at his um, 
at the, at the top of his talents. Mm-hmm. Um, Olivia de Havilland did win Best Actress. Um, yes. Now, Ralph Richardson was nominated for Supporting Actor. Oh. oh. He lost to Dean Jagger from 12 O'Clock High. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I actually have to say Dean Jagger's performance in that film is actually pretty stunning. Like, it's very <laughs> sensitive in, like, a way that the rest of the film around it is not. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't remember much about it, but I just, I do remember thinking that. I do remember, oh, like, and then I learned that fact that it won the Oscar, and it's like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what wins Oscars and what doesn't during this period. Like, I, I couldn't give a shit about, like, who or what wins an Oscar nowadays, and, like, that seems to me like the death knell, but like, there's there's some performances that like win an Oscar that kind of shock you, like, or like in like this '40s '50s period, like when they recognized um, in 1956 the uh, Best Supporting Actor uh, Anthony Quinn as Gauguin in *Lust for Life*, and Best Supporting Actress Dorothy Malone in *Written on the Wind*, two of the greatest performances of like that era, oh, like period. Man. It's like, oh, you were right, like you got you got it. You got it on the money. Written like, on the Wind is, um, my Criterion's over here somewhere, and I just have not watched yeah. it yet. I just... Oh, God. Save it for a rainy day. Save it for a for a, for a manic day. It, it sure. really requires that. Yeah, I have some people who call it the greatest American film. Like, and I... Although I, can, I cannot possibly say... I can say that about a cert, but that to me has to be Imitation of Life, 59. Wow. Like that, that to me is his masterpiece but i adore written on the wind it's so it's so it's kookabonkers <laughs> love it i cannot yeah. wait to watch it texas um, oil dynasties they're always it's always good it's always a good uh, meaty film i'm surprised no one has um programmed it like recently as part of like some kind of like succession e type oh it would be good with succession it's very succession adjacent but like you know with the caveat that you know douglas sir actually knows what he's doing when it comes to making beautiful images so um i it has the edge um yeah um if you would talk about good oil family movies though again giant i'm just giant i know know, Ah. i'm telling you like i I need to watch it i need to watch it i know i know i would love it i know i would love it yeah somehow like i know this i'm i'm hoping i love it you know I, I know the track record in, of Stevens during this period, but I'm like, nah, this is this has to be This is the exception. one. Yeah. It is. I God, I adore that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Marion Hopkins did not get nominated for an Oscar, but she did get some, I think she got like a Golden Globe or a National Board of Review. She got some nominations. The okay. only actor in this movie that did not get any nominations that I could find. Was that Clift? Was Monty Clift. That's so odd. Uh, what? Yes, I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it's... That's very interesting. I f- I'm the more I'm watching this clip series, also the more I realize how I feel like I, and I feel like maybe generally, people have tremendously underrated his because every single performance he gives is just like I never I never put Red River, Misfits, Place in the Sun, From Here to Eternity, Freud together in the same kind of way as I'm doing right now. I confess. Just, what about I confess? I haven't seen that one. I yeah, it's a that's um, a pretty. Um, I can't say it's a really sick Hitchcock because they all are. They're all sick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're all sick. <laughs> but it's a good one. Um, it's a good one. Ah, okay. I have to watch it. Um, it also that that's interesting that he didn't get any kind of nomination for the heiress. He also didn't get nominated for anything for what might have been his 
his peak role in a way, which I saw this week at film forum called Freud, The Secret Passion. Which... Very much want to hear about this. <laughs> oh my god, this movie like it moved. I keep saying it moves like a late Rossellini picture, like one of his history pictures, like Age of the Medici or Socrates or something like this, where it's it's. it's I was surprised that like I was expecting from like the ad campaigns in the trailer that it was going to be like, see the shocking, you know, neuroses of the man who invented, you know, who Something discovered like the, Diary of the right? Yeah, exactly. The regions of the mind and all this shit. And then I watched it and I was like, this is a, this is actually a very cogent kind of presentation of like basic Freudian concepts, like one after the other. Um, and it's like, it's very obvious that it's like not doing, trying to do nothing, but kind of, demonstrate within different kinds of sketches you know the this is like the patient's neuroses and then monty clift goes ah i think you might be experiencing something which i will call transference and it it, it just keeps going on and on in this way for like two and a half hours it's stupendous it's a stupendous picture and i'm and his performance in it is so um it's so hauntingly calm it's 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 very much like he's not even pl- he's very much playing Monty Clift as Freud. That's like very just, much it, another sort of Russ, late Rossellini biography tactic. That they yeah, have. yeah. There's no psychologizing at all, which is insane considering like this is like Freud, you know, <laughs> Freud, Houston, well Houston, and like a kind of like grammar that he uses, which I feel like you know I always say that uh, Houston is afraid of negative space in the sense of like he just cannot leave anything to the mind of the audience who so has to punch home every sure. single meaning in his shots with like, you know, uh, Manny Farber once described Kurosawa's compositions as being like, kind of like potatoes stacked one against one another, like in a neat line, lean row. Uh-huh. And I feel like that, that description is much more apt for like Houston. I feel like all of his huh. people are always like, just he's cramming the frame at every point to like, you know, show, at different points like everyone's simultaneity and it just kind of can grate for me at times but he doesn't do he doesn't really do any of that with freud or at least he leans into his ability to kind of punch home every single line and every single delivery in like this way that did remind me of like late rossellini because it's just like and houston is like you know narrating on the soundtrack himself like <laughs> this 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 weird thing where like Freud Freud's thinking about a lot of things throughout the movie but his internal voice is actually John Huston <laughs> like if you that, that's if you know Orson Welles shit No it is it's very it's like what what is this baroque like very intelligent film about psychoanalysis doing like with a screenplay that was later expurged but like the basics of the <laughs> film um were like conceived by Jean-Paul Sartre um uh-huh. You know, which uh, is is also just like it has the nuttiest like cross wirings of like a film I've seen in a long time. I don't know. I'm very passionate about this film, and I'm just mad that he didn't get anything, any kind of recognition for that because I think there was like some campaign during this period where people were kind of saying like, "Oh, he's a difficult worker," and like you know, he's on drugs and alcohol, like for you know, for very tragic like post car crash 1955 reasons which is just yeah it's 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 his story is very sad like i'm i'm like realizing it now it's just so it's it's very painful to watch these movies sometimes because it's just like you see someone just like struggling to like exist and you see that 
his performances post Rain Tree Country are um are that that's like the explicit subtext the, the explicit text and the subtext of all of his performances is like mm-hmm. he is fading in some kind of way and it's hard not to just you know it, it really does break your heart seeing this um, yeah but um, anyway what what is your favorite of that late period Rossellini by the way <laughs> um again I haven't seen I want to see more sure. like I haven't seen enough to like claim that but I fell instantly for age of the medici um mm-hmm. i love i love this movie my god it's like you know it's it's a it's a type of movie you know have you seen it so this is another one of like my girlfriend's favorite things is like mm. this late period rossellini and i'm, I'm i need to get yeah. around to it we we recently bought the criterion collection of i think medici pascal and descartes oh good yeah 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 descartes yeah yeah, yeah. it's i need to watch um the Pascal film. I haven't seen Descartes either, actually. Um, but yeah, no. Start start with Age of the Medici. I, okay. I remember I watched that early during COVID, and I was like, during um, the the lockdown in 2020, and I was like, I just need to get to through finally to like late Rossellini. And these, I I love this kind of, and I kind of want. I'm trying to make films right now too, and like it, I really want to make films like this where it's just kind of people dialoguing with one another and there's no attempt at psychology like getting into a character it really is just people declaiming it's it's completely not real at all and that's what makes it real weirdly enough is that like people are just kind of declaiming to the skies like i will i will explain to you my thoughts and processes regarding perspective you know and i will explain to you like the the intricacies of you know what what it is like the renaissance in like like you know florence i'll explain to you my ideas and ideals around albertian humanism says leon battista alberti um and costume <laughs> de medici like in this a very patient wise looking man who like you you never you never see it kind of it's like you see them as it's just like an exchange of ideas really sure. it's not even it's not even an exchange of people's feelings it's not even an exchange of sentiment it's an exchange of ideas and from that i think an emotional involvement uh arises um i yeah, think I, I saw I, someone on letterbox compare it to sort of a, a like a docudrama almost like a ah, almost like yeah, a, d- a, a like a frederick weissman where people just sort of like yeah i see that oh I, that's totally true Oh, I totally see that. Now they're very wise, many actually. Now that I'm thinking about, it. yeah, no, it's really just like people sitting down and talking ideas, like scripted, not in the real time of Wiseman, but like it's very much that kind of sense of like we are we are getting to the nitty gritty of things, like the things that you didn't you wouldn't possibly think were interesting mm-hmm. suddenly become fascinating because it's like, well, yeah, shit, I want to know about like you know Socrates's responses to like his ex- like interrogators and. All this thing. It's the other thing where I feel like I didn't have like a traditional education in all like the classics and like the history and like all this shit that you're supposed to know to be like a a knowledgeable person in like you know the Western canon and civilization all this shit. Like, but but when Rossellini is presenting Socrates, <laughs> I'm like very involved. I'm like, okay, wait, no, what what was this guy up to? Who was this? And like, you know, where's the hemlock and like all this thing. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I, st- we've, we've veered far from the heiress, but so, there's some, some connection to, um, 
yeah to late rossellini and the heiress perhaps um but i don't know what that is yet <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's a good line to describe just about any podcast yeah well it's the integrity of space i think this is the sure. other thing too i mean um he he rossellini stages all these tableau like very flatly it is a very flat space and he kind of it feels like a literal when... painting like you would just touch the the canvas itself yeah yeah and he comes up with these very casually beautiful compositions that on if you look at it like from one it's very hong sang sui it's very it's it i does have not remind seen a of... single hong sang sui movie that is ah. one of my greatest sins oh you'll get there you'll get there yeah, he's this, this so pl- up the like right no, up the alley there's plenty of time in the world you'll get there but you should watch um my favorite is grass but like i don't know everyone's favorite is different i feel like <laughs> he's made so many movies that are exactly the same mm, you think <laughs> you well think. It's, this is the ozu thing where everyone's like oh all the ozu movies are the same and of course yeah but there's there's i'm telling you there's there's subtle nuances here and there you know i did and those nuances took- take more on than like you know houston where well houston's fun because he made every kind of movie but right there's just as many differences between even if he couldn't make that movie like fucking moulin rouge my god what a travesty (laughs) um like he he can't no one no one should put him next to a musical also i hate the fact that like I, i learned this recently that like um um clift had a terrible time on the set of both of his films because he was just um a raging homophobe and like you know clift being um yeah sure like it was just like not not a convivial environment for him, which is which makes me sad. To, yeah, that's to read that. Um, but anyway, yes. So, but like, yeah. It took me like five Hong films to like finally like find one that was like I was enraptured with, and that fifth film was Grass. It really nice. it really took me that long. Um, but I don't know. It's 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 a there's many many Hongs out there. You'll yeah. you'll get there. And I feel like every year where I'm like, oh, I should watch another Hong, he's made three, and I'm like, well, yeah, you just have to start. It's like, I know, it's you know, it's people do this with like Marvel. They they always go like, oh, I haven't seen any of the pictures, and like someone else says, oh, you just have to start, and I'm like, I. I, I don't want to... I'm not going to do that with Marvel. I will do that with Hong. <laughs> I I don't have to... I, can, I don't have to start at the beginning with Marvel and start at whatever point in Marvel. No, I'm going to, like, say thank you. No. Um, anyway. Um, so, I actually, I'm looking at more of the set. We're going to... I don't know if we'll get to the actual plot, but we're going to talk through this whole movie through the... Yeah, yeah. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about the set direction here because you were talking about how like the use of space in this movie is so important and so much mm. of this movie just takes place at a single house yes and... love those films love the love a good interior locked space They're, they those can get so much more intense than like giant. places where you're jet setting around the world is giant like this yeah. Gi- giant is uh i think it's got a few locations but it really is sort of like a, I don't know Sort of days mm. of heaven where there's one main house and you kind of will oh, I see. branch out yeah. through there and come back and always turn to this house. It's really yeah terrifying and gaudy and overwhelming and I love it. But yeah. I want to say something about the set director, Emil yes. Curry. Every single one of his movies I've noticing are very house-centered. Mm. So It's a Wonderful Life. They they buy mm. that house and It's a Wonderful Life. And so much of that movie is taking place in that house. Rope. Interesting. Three rooms. Yeah. 
Interesting. Mary wait, Poppins? What, wait, what, is, what is Mary Poppins the best Disney film? Like, yes, what? It is. Oh my god. Wait a minute. And again, wait, Mary Poppins, it, they, they retreat from the house and they always come back. That you, I, I could picture yes. rooms of that house so specifically. Oh my god. Oh my god. You're ah, you're onto something here. I'm sure someone has must have written about this somewhere. I mean, um, Place in the Sun. Yes, Place in the Sun. Another one of his. Yep. Um, what is his name? Can you say it again? Emil Curie. Emil Curie. C K U R I. K U R I. Yeah. Twenty thousand leagues under the sea. You know where. Who? Oh my God! Who is this person? Shane. Oh, Executive Suite. I love that film. How about Shane? Shane's a house movie. Shane is a house movie. Did he do Shane? Yeah, he did. Okay. Well, that's I. I like the house in Shane. I. It's a good house. It's a good set. It's a good set. A Mexican-born American set director of Lebanese parentage. I'm obsessed. Who is this man? (laughs) Um, We we gotta we gotta do a deep dive on Emil Curry. I know someone. We got it. Yeah, we got to do a deep dive on this man. Um, Mary Poppins. Wow, Mary Poppins and the heiress. They're more linked than one might think. The 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 way those houses are designed <laughs> and the way they use each of the rooms for certain set pieces, almost. And that one, it's more a musical mm. set piece. This one, it's more of a showdown set pieces that will go throughout the movie. It's mm. incredibly mm-hmm. effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, uh, sorry. I was looking at the um, his Wikipedia page and longer IMDb page. Um, yeah, no, I mean it's a it's it's a very tastefully furnished house. The stairs, those stairs, just oh my god, are, the stairs are, are so expressive. Without just they're always looming in the background of most of the shots whenever somebody enters. And the 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 crazy thing is that I don't think you ever see. Do you ever see her room, like, upstairs? I don't think so. That's interesting, because, like, so then, pretty much the entirety of the film, and look, like, unimaginative minds will say, like, you know, oh, it's just, it's, it's, you know, uh, The Heiress is based on a play, also called The Heiress, um, and, like, it's, it's set within this stage, so, like, people can say, like, oh, it's just stagey, it's just, they're just transposing the the play to the cinema it's not actually cinema but it's like no wait a minute like there's there's actually a nice intentionality and bleed through between theater and film that's happening because it's landlocked so much basically within like three spaces which is like the living room the piano room like the 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 bigger study and and the the study and yes and the dining room and also the 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 hallway corridor where a lot sure, of the action sure, sure. actually happens. We're like, you know, it's it's very also the space of the father to get very psychoanalytic, um, as usual for me. Uh, it's very much his. It's it's his terrain. It's his territory. It's very solid and grounded and like most the the film is just Catherine, Olivia De Havilland's Catherine Sloper trying to find her own way within this world to, 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 to declaim her voice and to be acknowledged as an existing human being yeah um independent of her father um and the beautiful thing about this ending i think is that you know she's ascending up the stairs oh well, i mean we can talk about the ending now or later but like there's okay let's do it now i mean the well, ending we have to say there's a moment when she finds out that uh 
Monty Clift is not going to come back for her. That, like, uh, her, the fact that she rejected her inheritance and is like, I'm going to marry you. And that's all he cares about, really, is the inheritance. He doesn't mm-hmm. come back, and she has to walk up those stairs in a black dress. Yeah. So defeated. Yeah. That yeah. compared to that to 40 minutes later when she gets to walk up the stairs at the end, which... Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, there you go. Like he's he's coming back. He's 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 at his old wiles. He's he has not changed and everything. He's knocking on the door. He's trying to say, Catherine, let me in to your father's location. And instead of staying in the space of the father that has dominated, that is dominated by the memories of Ralph of Austin Sloper, um, he go she goes up the stairs. She goes to another place where we haven't even been privy to another world that we don't even see you know she literally ascends like it's <laughs> it's it's a brilliant staging it's brilliant it's staging i wonder if it's in the in the uh the play which i'm not familiar with um but there's a beautiful piece of set design that i don't think you could do in the play but there's a massive mirror on the wall when mm. the stairs turn and it looks mm. like when the first time you see it it looks like the stairs should just continue the same way Mm. But instead, it's it's reflecting, and you have to do this turn, and mm. it always throws me off when I see it. Mm. I don't know if there's any reason to that, but I I just find that fascinating. The, there's a mirror that you see at the end. Yeah. Or... So the, the the there's one level to the stairs, and then you turn right. and go up the next level, and yeah. at that turn, there's a mirror. So it looks like the level going the opposite way is going is following the first staircase. Oh, interesting. Huh. And I don't know if that means anything, but it always, it always throws me off when I saw it. It surely has to. There's there's a reason why they put it there. But I mean, Emil Curie is the best. Yes, I'm I'm now fascinated by this man. I I cannot I cannot name a more I'm I'm hung up on this this that he's I that he did all these films which are very defined by their houses. I I can't think of a more distinctive for me personally a more distinctive house. In terms of set design and and mm-hmm. layout, than the Mary Poppins house, a hundred percent. The only other God, one would be Days this... of Heaven for me. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that film enough times to like claim sure. that for myself. But like, yeah, and I see what you mean. Yeah, um, no, yeah, it, it's really it's really interesting. And Neil Curry, hmm. interesting. Yeah. Belly, come on in. Hello. Sorry, my uh, my dog just came in. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, do you think uh, and this ending reminds you at all of the, of the ending of Mikey and Nikki, the Elaine May movie? Oh well, yes, I mean very much so. <laughs> Not to we won't spoil that movie for anyone who hasn't had the the, the, the delight to um, experience Mikey and Nikki for themselves. But there's there is a similarity. There is. Um, with the exception that I would say, um, the ending of the heiress is triumphant. Sure. And the ending it's, of Mikey it, and Nikki is... It's, it's not triumphant. Like, it's um, Maybe, horrifying. yeah, maybe, maybe somebody should do something about, you know, whether the door is open or not, is all I'll say. Maybe yeah. somebody should do something. Like, yeah. and the fact that this event either does or does not happen is horrifying yeah um it's horrifying it's a horrifying ending <laughs> but like true, yes true. It, like in the base of like one person is like knocking on the door 
loudly. Um, yeah. Um, so another thing we usually talk about um, is uh, if anyone voted for this movie on the sight and sound list. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. There was only one person, and it was a director, that voted Ooh. for it. Who is it? His name is Peter Morrissey. Peter Morrissey? Never heard of him. Uh, I didn't Morrissey. hear of him either. I'm trying to... The search engine on Letterboxd is always so finicky. Oh. Hmm. Um, is his... this a fashion designer? No. No. Okay. Let me see. Um, sorry, Paul Morrissey. My bad. Oh, Paul Morrissey. Oh, that oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, because so Paul, I, I, Paul I don't Morrissey know Paul loves Morrissey. the heiress. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> I don't know about this guy, but uh, most of his movies seem uh, fucked. Yeah. Well, well I mean, point. well, well, Paul Mor. Yes. Well, Paul Morrissey was. Um, was involved with like the Andy Warhol crowd in like the sixties and seventies. Mm. He did uh, Flesh for Frankenstein, very garish type film. I'm I'm looking at this. Ah, so on Paul Morrissey's list, this kind of this checks out too. Like um, Warhol and Morrissey. Like the other thing too. I feel like people always assume irony and distance with and project that onto them. Like these people, I feel like were sincere to the core they loved these it wasn't like mocking kind of sure. hollywood conventions it was like raising them to a kind of absurdist elevated degree um that is coming out of a place of love so he has in addition to the heiress on his favorites list gone with the wind yep which is long and logy for me i can't stand it uh richard the third which is the same thing but with british accents um on which the richard the third version the Olivier version. Okay. Yeah. Um, on the Waterfront, which actually, it's not my favorite Kazan, I must say. How I don't really my... care for that movie either. Nah, nah. There's, there's way better films. There's way better films beyond the canonical Kazan films for me that like aren't Streetcar or like, On the Waterfront. I don't know. Those, those films, when I watched them, did nothing for me. But like Baby Doll, Wild River, Face in the Crowd, um, what about Panic in the, in the Streets. Splendor in the Grass. I have not seen that one, actually. Okay, okay. I need to, I need to see that. Um, How Green Was My Valley and Tobacco Road, two Fords. Amazing, amazing like, Ford like, picks. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, You can tell a lot from someone by like what their favorite John Ford film is. Mine is Pilgrimage, which no one... Hell it's like, yes! It's, it's a 1933... Uh, it's not even like like from the classic period of like stagecoach No, that armor. movie's amazing. No, it's it's a devastating film. And like I'm very much like a, a crier and a romantic when it comes to movies. And like I no think one that can, one is the most achingly... Anyone watches that cries. It's the most achingly brutal emotionally brutal Ford I've, I've seen. I'm not going to say anything about it. Just like it's on Criterion channel. If you have that dear listener um, pilgrimage and just watch it and just like, what a wild it. movie. I know. Yeah. Shane, which, okay. We talked about that too much. Uh, the heiress, the third man. These are all movies. I actually dislike intensely. 
the non. <laughs> I don't really like La Dolce Vita. I don't like Third Man. You don't but like La Dolce Vita? Nah, nah. Oh, it's, that I never. That never did anything for me. I think uh, something snapped in Fellini during that period. I don't something know. did, and like eight and a half. Not a fan personally. I think it's no. good. I think it's fine. No. Yeah, I I like that one, but it's it's such a. Like to me, the 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 really resonant ones are really like the fifties ones, like Upper Two, like um, Nights in Kibir- Nights of Kiberia, which is just that's that's the goat. Yeah, yeah. Eva Toloni, I love too. Which one? Eva Toloni. I haven't seen that actually. Uh, need to watch yeah. that. But like, I was watching a lot of these like late Fellinis at MoMA, and I was just not having it. Like Roma bored the hell out of me. Um, Amacord. So, R- Roma. What about Amacord? Um, I haven't seen Amacore, but I'm, mm. I'm avoiding that. I think I need to be in the right mood for it. Cause I watched like Satyricon and the ship sails on and Roma. And I was just like, I'm, I do not care about this decadence. Like it's, it's logy and like just endless. Like I get it. <laughs> I get it. But you had, you had decadence in, 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 in more succinct form and like you're in his, um, in his short film, which is, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's like Anita Ekberg, like an Anita Ekberg billboard comes to life. And this like very puritanical professor is like leading a moral crusade against the Anita Ekberg billboard. Cause she has like huge tits and like, is like everyone, all the Italian boys and like, you know, old grandmothers are like flocking to this billboard, and he's like, "Sexist, corrupting us all." And then the Anita Ekberg um, billboard comes to life and basically like uh, tortures him and like taunts him and like you know takes him around and tempts him. It's like the temptation of Doctor Something or Other. It's from like nineteen sixty-three. Yeah, it's from Boccaccio seventy. Yeah, what is the, okay. what is the name of that short? What is the name of that short? Oh, the temptation of Doctor Antonio. Yeah, okay. I, I, yeah, I love that. that. I think that's my favorite of this like decadent sure. Fellini period. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much a pre. Call me traditional, but I'm very much like a pre Cabiria. I was <laughs> until I rewatched the Dolce Vita recently, and it went from mm. f- like a three and a half to a four movie to like I think my thirteenth all time. Mm. I'll so. watch it. I'll rewatch it. These, yeah, these are all just opinions of like what i feel at like 25 this will surely change but yeah um, oh my god my i feel like my opinions are changing every two years at this point like just yeah i never know um but yeah pilgrimage yeah. everyone should watch pilgrimage it's everyone should watch pilgrimage yeah it's it's a beautiful movie um, um i think my favorite is either liberty valance or wagon master mm, i i love liberty valance i haven't seen wagon master but Wagon Master is almost like Ford's late period Rossellini movie, I would say. Oh, interesting. It's, it's very pared down and just weird. It's mm. so strange. Yeah. But yeah, Paul Morrissey's um, Sight and Sound list. Um, yeah. Wait, so do you not is... like How Green Was My Valley? No, I love that film. No, that's okay, the good, good, that's good, good, good. I adore that film. My God, oh, um, not that I, again. We've had a guest awesome. on that that hates that movie, and I just that's what I'm just like, Stephen. What are you doing, man? Why? <laughs> I mean, is it because it won over Citizen Kane, which is the stupidest reason to? No, I think a lot of people don't like that movie because it did that, and I'm like, it deserved to win a over Citizen Kane. I'm sorry, it's a great. Uh, 
it's, it's yeah, a great, I'd, I'd it's a great picture. I, not that Oscars fucking matter, but like you know, I don't know. Like it, it was. It's, it's a strong picture. It's a strong picture, and I don't know. I prefer other Orson Welles pictures. But, yeah, yeah. What's your favorite Orson? That's always an interesting. Uh... uh, what is my favorite Orson Welles picture? Um, strangely enough. Strangely enough, I think it's it's perverse, but I think it might be um, the immortal story. Yes, I don't know why. I, this is the this oh. is the one film of his that I constantly think about. It's this for it's, it's this like sixty minute like TV movie based on an Isaac Dennison short story um, about this like rich man who. Um, is living in Macau, and there's this, like, fable, that's legend that goes around in Macau about this sailor who comes into the town, and, like, a, in the fable, a rich benefactor pays the sailor to, I think, sleep with his wife because he's impotent, and, like, he wants to... He, he just wants to kind of give the sailor this story to kind of tell all over the world that like you know there is like a there, it's like a, it's like a parable about love it's a parable about hope it's a parable about like you know like the what art does to us it's in haunting of, in giving up giving us this hope that might or might not exist and so in the in the story outside the story orson wells is playing this merchant who wants to reenact that legend and make it into reality and so he hire he finds the sailor and like, um, like you know gives him money and then Jean Moreau is hired I think as like, she's like a street worker, a street walker and she, um, and her and the sailor have this like moment I guess and then he dies and expires and like he's just it's just it's 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 a it's a short about like dissipation, death, love, Great all stuff. this thing. It's very it's very mysterious it's a very mysterious movie i don't know why mm -hmm. it's it's not like one of his virtuoso slam bang kind of things and like no it's not like touch of evil and lady of shanghai and magnificent ambersons which and rf for fake which are all wonderful films in their own right but yeah. there's something about this one quiet it's so quiet it's such a quiet talky film it's very soothing to watch as you're falling asleep i think yeah um that really gets me it's very dreamlike Mm -hmm. properly dreamlike um yeah i guess that wraps up a lot of the uh preamble this hour-long preamble wonderful we'll try to break down some of the some of the plot here so um <clears throat> we start with uh almost like in uh ozu uh credits where we were over like a fabric um sort of thing but it's yeah. i should also mention i i only have like a couple minutes left i'm sorry i don't know how long this is gonna go for but i i only like have like until like 12 30 and i should i have to get up and do some stuff oh no worries okay we'll go through but, this fairly quickly okay but i i love the opening credits where um it's like it's a, a needle stitch which is something the father later says to her which is like you're good at your needle stitching like that's that's like your best quality hmm. and at the end when she's like taking down monty like this is something she's just continuously doing after that point mm -hmm. and so when you've seen the movie and, and it starts with this stitch pattern of the street it's uh 
creepy. Mm. Um, I think it does a really good job at the beginning, sort of setting up this um, innocent. Um, you know, she she doesn't entirely know how to handle herself in this sort of high society. At the at the dance, she's very awkward. It's she has a a purse on her wrist that keeps flying everywhere every time she's dancing. She won't take it off. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very funny. Um, but uh, it, it it does a good job setting up this character. Is like this person doesn't fully know what she needs to do to you know be a be an heiress, be someone that needs to find a, a good husband that's. Uh, gonna work well for her and work well for her, her dowry. And um, Monty Harris comes along and uh, takes advantage of that. And uh, he he has this great thing where he has an empty dance card because he he he's going there for one purpose and one purpose alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's a brilliant part where. After this uh, dance scene, um, the Monty comes over for dinner. He he comes a calling, and she's asked. He's he basically like asks her to marry him before he could talk to the father because he knows that the father will stand in the way, and he needs right. to he needs to get this uh, front and center. And there's right. one of my favorite things in set direction is sort of a candle placement, and where. Mm. You could sort of light a passion um, on a person, and there's these two big candles yeah. that are right in front of the camera um, that are blocking out Monty and the father from Liv on the on the right hand side of the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does a really good job, sort of separating and intensifying what the passions and interests are here, and. Mm. There's a lot of good. One of the, I think this is one of Wilder's um, best things. But he can, he can move a camera very subtly and completely change sort of the blocking and uh, the mood of a scene. Mm. And this comes in a lot in the dinner scene where he'll move and suddenly the cameras will be the candles will be all on Monty, and um, you know there there's one part where they they kiss, and it was when when they kiss in. You know, movies yeah. like this, they'll do a they'll do a big zoom in on the two. Like, look at that! Mm. Look at their love. the The way Wilder shoots it is, it's a very creeping zoom. It's very slow as they're kissing, and it's mm. he, he he just has such an interesting perspective of how he's going to approach characters and romances and emotions. Yes, yeah, it's very ambiguous always in his films. I think like what people's intentions are and like why. Like, there's there's always something off which he signals with his camera placement or how he blocks someone or creatively blocks someone um yeah i mean it was not for nothing i think that bazan was so you know obsessed with this these films for Mm -hmm. what they revealed about um the realism that the camera detects the human eye cannot detect you know and i feel like that that moment of like the i don't think it's a zoom i think it's like a track in to to sure sure to uh yeah yeah but like it's it's a similar concept of like they're having their moment and then the camera is kind of becoming this embodied not really spectator but just like a spirit within the room that's observing the sinister edge 
of mm-hmm. exactly. this relation, which probably, which will end in in catastrophe for all the parties involved. The father will die. Um, the uh, suitor will be not only rejected, but like humiliatingly rejected and feel abandoned and all this thing. And the 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 courted woman is going to have a it she like it's kind of like the end of a psychoanalytic analytic session where it's like she beca- she becomes fully aware of what she is and who she is yeah and she kind of embraces this cruel self knowledge of like how she has been seen in society and how people see her. Um, yeah, There's a it's great all, it's all within that work kiss. from Olivia De Havilland when. She sort of realizes this first with her dad when she's sort of confronting her dad and her dad says, like, yeah. you know, you're nothing like your mom. You, you're not beautiful or anything. And Olivia de Havilland's voice drops like an octave. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it signals this sort of like uh, she goes from someone that's always like talking up here and very whimsical and uh, optimistic. And then it's just like, no. Mm. And by the end of the movie, she's completely dropped her voice 100% of the time. And I think that's a really good move mm. from Olivia de Havilland or direction from Weiler. But so- someone, it's a good decision-making process for the, the character. Mm. Mm. Th- this really is an all-time character arc. And I love the way you say it in your letterbox review where you're like, how did this person go from this and it's her smiling at the ball to this and it's her, you know, sadly doing the... Um, the the stitching embroidering you yeah. do yeah and uh i don't know how they do that but they do it's really effective yeah that's all in uh it's all in the development of the scripts that's all in uh the way that he works with actors it's all in the the you know all that thing but like there's still some kind of extra element to it that escapes um logical explanation even though it's one can very easily explain this is just like the the tendency of all human relationships yeah um we did talk a bit about how you know montgomery cliff leaves after she he realizes he'll only get ten thousand instead of thirty thousand in inheritance a year which yeah like they say it's like ten thousand a year at this time is like that's a pretty good living it's pretty damn it's still pretty damn good i, I, I would have I mean, like, come on. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's a really good point of showing just how selfish and greedy this man is. Is He Mm. won't take a very nice, comfortable living. He needs excessive wealth. Yeah. The wonderful thing about how Clift plays him, though, is that he plays it all under. He doesn't, like, all this comes, all all this is text, all this is plot, all this is, like, you know, it's, it, it doesn't really show it. The one time it starts to show it is in the house with him and Miriam Hopkins yeah. when they're not, when uh, uh, Olivia and uh, the dad are in Europe and he's like smoking these cigars, and he's sort right. of walking around with an attitude and you're like, oh shit, this is what this guy's really like. Yeah. Um. But uh, there's this point, so he leaves when he finds out he won't get the full inheritance, and Ellie. And um, not only does she sort of like have her revenge on the suitor, but she also has a revenge on the father where 
it's pretty demented, but the father basically asks her to like come to his dying bedside and she refuses. Mm-hmm. It's another moment of like complete blocking out that is it's it's scary but triumphant at the same time. And there's a really good line she uses against him where he's trying to be nice after he realizes what she's done and she's you know, she's not gonna be giving his money to Monty Cliff and mm-hmm. um he's he's trying to be like all sweet to her to like get her to come visit her and she says, Don't be kind to me, it doesn't become you. Mm. <sighs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love oh, I love that phrase also independently of everything of that. It doesn't become you. That's a wonderful <laughs> phrase. Let's bring that more, back pe- into more people more people should say that. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't become you, my dear. Yeah. And I <laughs> it think it doesn't become you. You have found your tongue at last, Catherine, which is another good... You have found your tongue at last. That's and it a is very used good. to say such terrible things. I, yes. it's, a, it's a great, great moment. Um, there's, there's an interesting uh, thing where I feel like there's just some movies where every line has such weight and importance that I feel like it's worthy of a quote. And, you know, I'm watching these movies for the podcast and I'm writing notes and I'm trying to write quotes that are important and... I just feel like I'd write the script if I actually did it the way I should. Mm. Because there's just some movies in this especially where just every line is is a dagger or mm. a, a swipe at something and it completely changes a conversation or a mood. And it's, it's fucking good. The script is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, after some time, after uh, the father passes away... Um, Montgomery Cliff comes back. He went to California instead of Europe this time and wasted his whatever money he had there. And um, is this one of the best use of mustache additions to a character in movie history? Oh, yeah. My God. When he comes back with the mustache, I died. <laughs> oh, God. He's... What's what's better, the mustache addition in that or with Jack Nicholson in uh, Something's Gotta Give? I haven't seen Something's Gotta Give, so I can't. Oh. But he has a mustache in that? That's wonderful. <laughs> he goes as the whole movie without a mustache and at the end and he shows up with this ridiculous almost departed high concept fake beard mustache thing mm. and it, it's sort of like when Montgomery Clift comes in at the end here you're just like whoa okay mm. things have changed um, yeah yeah it's it's things have changed for the worse yeah. yes I, I don't it makes him so much more conniving lucky and it's almost like he's gro- he's like his body is mutated into like the the person that he is in the inside. Mm. Um, have you ever seen that Twilight Zone where people they put the masks on at the end, they take the masks off, and they their faces become the masks? Yes, I, I have seen that one. Yeah, I, I, that's almost that's almost like the mustache for me. In, in, in mm, yeah, for sure, um, for sure. But uh, he comes back and. <sighs> There's a so I have so many lines here written from when he, he she she says like I'll I'll marry you go get your things come on back we'll 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 run away together and he's like all right we're doing this finally and he leaves and she's like bolt the door Mary and yeah bolt the door Mariah Mariah and uh, and uh, the aunt starts like realizing what's happening she's like what what are you doing he, right, you can't right. do your cross stitching now there and. She's like, I must finish it now or I will yeah. never do another. Not just I will never finish. I'll never do another. 
no. She'll never do like the one thing she she enjoys doing or is good at. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. he came back with the same lies, and this is also when the aunt says, "Can you be so cruel?" And she says, "I can be so cruel. I've been taught by the masters." Mm-hmm. And yeah, he comes back and he starts knocking on the door, and that's when she just decides to retreat to her bedroom. Mm. Yeah, it's just um, really good movie. Yeah, great movie. So we do an Ebert sort of thing at the end of our movies. We do a thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm assuming uh, this movie is a thumbs up. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, he did a out of four star rating scale, which always throws people off. But if you gave it out of four stars, what would you rate it? I, I guess four. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a four star movie. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. This really is just a perfectly made movie. It's mm-hmm. tight, it's expansive, it's emotional, it's mm-hmm. very daring, I think, mm-hmm. um, in the in sort of the direction it's using, and especially in Melavita Havlin's performance and, and mm-hmm. Montgomery Cliff's performance. Yes, for sure. And I think, I, I do think um, Ralph Richardson is the, the dad is quite an amazing performance, but he's not like subverting all my... Th- thoughts and expectations on a performance like Montgomery Clift and Olivia to have when they're in this so well surely no I mean his is a very he's just a stable a father he's, this, he's yeah. the anchor he has to be the force of vengeance and kind of wanton parental cruelty <laughs> yeah I guess he's, his character is maybe not the given the most subversion as the other two are right yeah, yeah. sad that uh, Clift did not get a nomination yeah, but what anyway, can you do? Do you, have a, do you have a couple movies you saw this week that you want to shout out? Um, I think. Well, I'm I'm watching this one film right now, which I'll probably get back to um, when this is over. It's called Slums of Beverly Hills, which I was recommended. Oh, really? Yeah, That's yeah, a, yeah. Jenna, our other podcast co-host. That's like all time, like top ten. Really? I mean, I I mean, I loved um, I loved Tamara Jenkins. Uh, her her film. Um, what's it called? Private Life. Um, which I, oh, that's a very good movie. Yeah, I, I was I saw it at MoMA, and she gave a Q and A afterwards, and I was just like blown away by it. And I was just like mad because it was on Netflix for like a little bit, and then didn't get any. It got no traction, and I was like, why is nobody paying attention to this? Wonderful, beautiful, well lit, well acted, like tidy, like drama, and. Yeah, no, and then I was talking with someone about Tamara Jenkins, and she just she had just watched Slums of Beverly Hills, and she was just like, "You have to watch this." Like, I'm like, "Oh, oh, it's by Tamara Jenkins." I was like, "Oh, okay." So now, now I'm watching it right now in the middle of it. It's um, it's it's I love it. I love it. It's so far. Um, Alan Arkin is just so fucking funny. He's just so fucking funny. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So doing that, and then all these other Monty Clift films that I've been watching at Film Forum, like Freud and Wild River, um, The Heiress. Um, yeah, that's yeah. that's about it. Um, for me, I watched. Uh, have you ever seen Prince of Tides, the old Nolte movie? No, I haven't seen it. That's a that's another I've heard one of it though. Friends' favorites. It was it was very mm, good. Okay. I saw uh, Mike Lee's Life is Sweet. 
Oh, yeah. I saw Secrets and Lies last week, actually. Yeah. Was that your first watch? That was my first time, first watch and first time watching any Mike Lee movie. One of my all time favorites. I think it's God, like 19 it's, or 19 it's on the list. Fucking, it's got another, like, it's like, um, it's it's just I was I was not expecting it to be like I didn't expect I was no, no. I didn't know what to expect I was I had no idea what the plot was and then I'm into it and I'm like gee it's just one of these Mike Lee is very special he is a special one yeah no he really is I want to see more of his stuff for obviously but um, I saw the uh, the bad sleep well oh good Jake yeah yeah Joel. Kurosawa Those were some yeah, new yeah. Kurosawa's for me yeah yeah, yeah. and. Mm. And I've, I've done this a couple of times, but I try to watch uh, a guest's favorite movie, one of their favorite movies when I uh, mm. come on if I haven't seen it. So I watched um, Minnelli's Some Come Running. Ah, I fucking love that film. Ah, good one. You want to talk another about a movie that's like you don't really know or expect at all where a movie's going when you start watching it? Right. I mean, yeah, Some Come Running. I, I that, that film was a revelation for me. I watched it on DVD once and I loved it then, but then I rewatched it at the Metrograph, like on a big screen, which is like, this is the sad thing, but I feel like Minnelli in particular is that he doesn't get talked about as probably the best, certainly the most well-rounded of all the classical Hollywood directors who could do literally any genre. I don't think we even um, need to like uh, classify him as one of the best of the classical like he, he oh, oh, oh no best period yeah, no, but, but yeah what I'm saying is like his films particularly suffer from not being seen on the big screen his films it's need true. to be experienced in like in an enclosed almost like church like space because they, they they really they it really did something to me when I rewatched it I really had like a a huge breakdown like what was it about at this movie that made it like one of your four favorites on uh, your letterbox page yeah. Oh well, that that you should ignore sometimes because that's just like a no, no. That's no. like but a I rotating list of things. You put up your um, sight and sound list at one point. Uh, oh yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I do remember. Yeah. Um, well, for me, um, I intensely relate to the Shirley MacLaine character. Uh, I, yeah, I, she's I really a bit like um, the Olivia De Havilland character. Mm. a very different like way the character goes but she does also start off with this like she's thrust into a world she doesn't really know or can work through and she has some right. optimism to her right yeah it, yeah and and the film for the first half of the film she's kind of presented in this dowdy way where it's kind of like it's she's just kind of this this um like not very well educated whatever that means in terms of like kind of like bourgeois upbringing mm -hmm. um you know bourgeois standardization by those standards she's not educated um a floozy um again yeah. to use the the 50s word for it she's <laughs> just kind of that's that's how people see her throughout the entire fucking film but throughout the course of it like she slowly emerges as the most as the philosophical center of it and the moral center truly, of it and that's that scene with her and um and um what is her name a gwen french the teacher played by martha Hire. Oh, yeah, martha Hire. Oh, when they're God, when they're in the class when, so when they're in good. the class yeah no, when they're in the classroom and they're confronting each other about the what a, what a showdown yeah no yeah. i mean it's it starts off as a showdown sure That's i guess the but then think about it yeah but then but then it quickly devolves into just one woman just desperately there's no there's no show to be downed it's just kind of this one desperate woman basically saying i love this person so much that i 
hope that you two have the most happiness in the world because I want him to have the most love like that is possible because it would be, you know, I would give my right eye if he loved me like that, which is just like, like just fucking like that, like a true, a, like a, a more, a more a pungent romantic film. I cannot think of than some came running and then we know how it ends. Um, so it's, yeah. it's just like, no, it's just, it's, it's a very, it's a very heavy film. It's like, it really does feel like, um, um, like, I think I saw this somewhere on Letterboxd, like someone had put this, like, it's like Greek tragedy ra- raised to the heights of like, what it's, it's the kind of Greek, Greek tragedy. I feel like that, like Arthur Miller and like of his ill people were trying sure, to like sure. capture like, but like, I feel like Minnelli just got the, the rhythms the and, and the, the um uh the structures of it with um with the with the concentration i struggle to to talk about this movie even obviously because it's just there's just so many things happening within each shot within each gesture within each um corner of the frame um but yeah it's it's uh you know there's a moment during the scene where McLean is talking to Martha French and um, she's pointing to her heart when she, she says, I don't got nothing. And it's, 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 it's so like bone chilling. Cause it's like, we don't even need to see, we don't even need to see her say the literal words. I don't got nothing but my love, which will never be enough. Yeah, You know, that's, that's such a, that's the suggestion. I don't got nothing. And she's pointing to her heart. She likes. She completes the words without even having to say, "But my heart, but yeah. my love." Um, it's well. Is, isn't that the best part of Minnelli? Is he makes these like brilliantly beautiful, lavish movies, and it's like this quiet, the quietest moment that hits the hardest. It's, you know, wish you a merry Christmas or not wish you a merry Christmas. Um, uh, no, it's uh, um, sorry. Um, what's it? Oh, have what, yourself what, a merry little. Christmas. Have yourself. I blanked on it too. Jesus Christ. Have um, yourself a merry little Christmas and meet me in St. Louis. Or yeah, yeah. the part in the... You've seen The Clock, right? Yes, I love The Clock. The part in The Clock where they go to the church and just light some candles together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just he's, like, this is why Minnelli is the best of all time. He's very, you know, he's very good at orchestrating these, like, small, tiny movements. And it's this juxta- this contradiction between, you know, actors would often either praise or mostly complain about the fact that he seemed to be directing the furniture more than the actors or like, cause he was just so invested in the mise-en-scene and presenting yeah. every, every single thing had to have its proper place. Every single thing had to be like a trinket that existed and had a personality of its own. And you contrast that intense perfectionism, which I would even go, it's, it feels like it's even further than someone like Kubrick, for instance. Um, oh, it's more maniacal. It's more maniacal. But at the same time, you have these wonderful, spontaneous moments where the actor is working in communion with the director, and it just it ro- like these accident, these seemingly accidental moments. I don't. I would love to know, and we don't really know whether Shirley or Vincent was the person who suggested that she point to her heart when she says, "I don't got nothing," you know. Um, but you have to, you have to think that it was some kind, it was some kind of synchronicity between the two about relating to this one woman who loves somebody so much that they wish their own happiness and their own love over their own. Um, 
you know, it is it is a hell situation. It's a situation that a lot of us will face at one point in our lives, and it's a intensely scary one, uh, except for moments when you see it somehow reflected in the crazy mirror of movies, and then you see it, and you're just like, my God. I'm like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Um, movies are great. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Um, I have to go. Um, but this was, this was a pleasure. I love this so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carlos. I hope we can have you back on soon. Yeah, for sure. Sounds good. All right. right. I'll send you the file too and everything. Will do. Have a good one. Okay. Sounds good. See ya. Bye. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.